Welcome to TA1. Everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, and welcome to another one of our midweek episodes. Uh, this one's with Warren Bates, race director of God Zone and racer and visionary. Um, we spent a lot of time again talking about uh, how to grow the sport, where the sport's going. Um, good things, bad things, the big announcement, um, Richie McCaw, who if you're an American like me, probably never heard of, but uh, as we put it, either like Tiger Woods or Tom Brady or somebody like that going to do Primal Quest. So big news there, uh, huge in the media in New Zealand, so should be good with the sport. Um, and as this, this we talk a lot of things, um, why God's Own is not going to be in the World Series next year, and uh, just uh, some of the things that happened at Worlds. And very interesting, probably more interesting than me telling you about how interesting it is. So let's hear what Warren has to say. Go fast, take chances, and thanks for listening. For some reason, managed to get her photo on. <laughs> well, be because they're way smarter than we are. That's right. Absolutely right. Yeah, God only knows where I'll end up. She could be uh, doctoring and forging all sorts of stuff in my private life. But um, yeah, yeah, here we go. How's things? Um, actually, good. I'm getting finally getting uh, back healed up. So yeah, you were sort of low for a while, weren't you? And that was that's been quite a long road to recovery, is it? Yeah, and then I got this weird um, edema in my leg. Right. So like had this huge. Arnold Schwarzenegger looking leg with no muscle in it, <laughs> but that's getting better too. So, oh, good. Well, hopefully, yeah, okay. everything's on the mend. So, oh, that's so yeah. it sounds like you had a busy day today. Oh, you know, well, I guess yeah, we sort of we sort of go up and down, but um, yeah, no, it's been busy for a few weeks actually. We've actually yeah. had to do it. It's a bit of a painful job keeping the lid on something like this. I suppose. Uh, so um, you're sort of trying to tee the key people up in the media, but you're embargoing everything, and um, and the timetable never quite works. You know, certain things yeah. will come up, and they'll say, "Oh, this person has to be here now," or they don't want this in the press release, and so it's a juggling act. But uh, I think it's a, it's a it's a good thing to have, to be honest. It's a good problem. Cool. Why don't you um, tell those of us that aren't quite uh, uh, up to speed what's going on? Yeah, well, I guess um, yeah, well, I guess it's a major thing for us, major thing for the sport, I think, mm -hmm. uh, from a media perspective, yeah. and major thing, obviously, for Cure Kids, which is ultimately what it's all about. But yeah, probably just about the most famous sports person, um, maybe in ball sports at the moment, in some ways, yeah. Richie McCaw, you know, double kind of winner of the World Cup, you know, obviously New Zealand icon, has, um, has signed up. And we've kind of known about this for some time. But it's signed up to come and compete at the next edition of God Zone. Uh, ultimately, about raising money for Cure Kids, who've been our recipient charity for a couple of years now. And I guess it's on the back of you know former All Black Ian Jones racing last year, and we raised a lot of money for that charity. And yeah. you know Richie's decided up you know to step up to the plate and join Rob, Ben, and Sarah uh, and give it a go. And uh, I guess testament to the guy that you know <laughs> some amazing glittering. And kind of unrivaled rugby career, just won a World Cup, second of time on the bounce, and he's stepping up to do God's Own, uh, which is completely random and very much, well, very different to um, rugby. 
yeah. but I think you know overall I think for something like this I sort of I think I saw something you'd put up about Tom Brady kind of stepping in and doing Primal Quest or yeah. I was thinking like Tiger Woods stepping up and doing I don't know Kona or someone it is literally yeah. or Michael Jordan finishing basketball having won the championship and then gone right I'll go and do I don't know New York Marathon you know it's just kind yeah. of out there and it's you know, I guess for a niche sport like adventure racing, to get someone who's so mainstream media and ticks so many good boxes, it's such a big coup for, I guess, Cure Kids, for us as an, you know, an event. Yeah. But hopefully for the sport, you know, it's interesting. We were watching our web traffic this morning, and we got a huge spike of people coming into the website on the announcement. And the most popular page by Miles was, can I do it? So wow. it just just goes to show that you know you you maybe open up the eyes to a few people going geez i've never thought about that or well if someone like richie can do it all right he's an amazing athlete but he's never done an adventure race before is it something that i should get involved with and it'll offers you know i just think it opens up a whole new avenue for the sport which is great we need it yeah well you know just uh to have somebody that's yeah just come off of a a world cup like that I mean, it's one thing, you know, sometimes retired athletes three or four years later find something they want to do, go run a marathon or Kona or something like that. But to uh, to step up like that seems seems pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's to say it's probably a mark of the guy that, yeah. you know, it's, he's genuinely doing I think, you know, he has a good relationship with Rob Nickel, who's the CEO of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. But I think there's a group of guys you know, within that rugby community who've actually been engaged with a little bit with what we've been doing in the past. And they sort of, they sit behind the kind of firewall, just kind of like watching what's happening and it piques their interest. But for someone like that, who could literally got the world at his feet, could do anything, could, um, you know, and anything he touches, the media is all over to say, I actually, I'm going to go and race at God's own. I know it's going to be incredibly tough. I'll be out there for six, seven days. God knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that and then probably raise a a really significant amount of money for cure kids is yeah. just very cool for everybody and you know we're just happy to be part of it yeah that's pretty cool um just a quick thumbnail of who he's racing with mm. yeah so rob nickel he's the ceo of the new zealand rugby players association we always laugh but he's kind of been described as one of the most influential important people in sport in new zealand he's a good guy yeah. uh, and he's he's done god's own twice before Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a chapter one and chapter uh, four, uh, and he raced last year with uh, Ian Jones, his former All Black uh, Sky commentator, and C.S. Svensson and Ben Mayer. Uh, but this year, yeah, it's going to be Sarah Fairmaid, who I just raced with actually yeah. in Brazil, mm-hmm. and uh, Ben, who's yeah, former professional rugby player, used to play for Auckland Blues. So yeah, and it's a star-spangled team, I guess. And uh, I mean, I think. I've got a sneaky suspicion, like Ian Jones proved last year, that these guys who've actually done sport at the very highest level are mentally and physically incredibly strong. And you yeah. can kind of under, you write them off a little bit and go, oh, what do they know about adventure racing? It's not about adventure racing. It, it's often about just being really high-quality athletes and super mentally tough. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes through it remarkably well. So, uh, and say so they've got, you know, Ben and Rob have done the event a couple of times they know, and Sarah's, you know, amazingly experienced. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go very well, actually, which is kind of what we want. Yeah. Well, I think it's the mental thing is the hard part. And they obviously have that if they compete at that level, I think. Yeah, I don't think it's not the sort of thing he's going to be daunted by. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, he might think, all oh, right, but 
this is going to be very different. Um, but yeah, and I, I think it said in the press release, you know, Richard sort of said a couple of times really that, you know, ultimately, you know, when you look for motivation, you kind of realize, well, you look at why you're doing it and they're doing it to help fund the research for kids who've got incurable diseases in, you know, in many ways or other problems. And if you're lacking for motivation, you just have to refocus on why you're doing it and say, look, yeah. this might hurt me for a day or I might feel pretty miserable because I'm sleepy. But then you ultimately look at what you're trying to do it for and you put it a little bit in perspective and then you just go, okay, well, I better harden up a little bit and get on with it and shut up. So, yeah, I think they'll be absolutely fine. So, cool. Well, that is, yeah, that's that's big. Now we got to just get somebody in the U.S. to step up. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to say, yeah, well, exactly. I think that that's, I mean, it kind of reminded me, we kind of rather flippantly put out on Facebook this morning something like, is this the biggest news in adventure racing ever? And I mean, it poses the question, but it, I think it goes, you have to go back to maybe sort of the halcyon days of Eco Challenge where you maybe got the, the odd superstar stepping up to yeah. the plate back then from the last time something significant like this happened. But as you say, often it was somebody who'd like finished triathlon or something four years earlier. Um, and to actually have someone who's like a really a current superstar to step up to an event, it's pretty unusual. Um, and it's, you know, say it's brilliant for everybody involved, I think. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, let's let's start a Twitter campaign. We'll get Tiger Woods. He can't golf. He might as well be an adventure racer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would like to see that. that okay, would... <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll get it started tonight. <laughs> so, well, yeah, yeah well, maybe maybe that won't happen. <laughs> well, I might get. Well, maybe we can get Richie to tweet Tiger. So, there you what, go. What are you doing? Wasting your time on the golf course. You can't even hit the bloody fairways anymore. Yeah, just uh, yeah, <laughs> just at Tiger Woods, just pussy. <laughs> so, yep. Cool. Okay, I'm in. I love it. Yeah. So, cool news. Um, all right. Here's a question. People want to know. There's been some some questions like, where where's God's own at with World Series? Yeah. Um, if you guess, can speak to it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, sometimes I have to be delicate about what I say. I can yes. be. I can be. Um, I'm not unknown for saying things which might rile a few people. <laughs> but um, Ooh, controversy on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, sometimes I worry that you know maybe we, we shoot ourselves a little bit in the foot yeah. in adventure racing because nobody steps up and actually criticizes when they should do. Yeah, uh, but I guess I mean ultimately we're a business, and any business, you know, as a director of a business, it's my duty of care to ensure that ultimately what I do with the money and how I run this business is in the best interest of the people who own it, and that's largely me and some other people. But you know, we have to do the right thing, and I guess we got to a point, you know, a wee while back where I just felt that, you know, maybe the World Series just wasn't quite heading in the right direction, or was really not doing the things that we thought it would do when we first signed up. You know, we were seeing, you know, events continue to sort of come off the conveyor belt. Another another taxi turns up at the round, kind of another race turns up, but they just seem to be getting maybe smaller and smaller events and more peripheral. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess as personally, I just don't necessarily, you know, buy into the idea that the future of the series or future adventure racing lies in inviting races from far-flung, you know, jurisdictions which ultimately, you know, might be more than happy to pay a small fee to be part of the World Series. Um, 
because the tourism budget's there for it and they're looking for any way to sort of improve, you know, get the exposure. Yeah. But in jurisdictions where there's, frankly, no adventure races, I just see that as a zero-sum game because all it ultimately means is is that you add another location to the World Series and no people from those areas, and they're often from places where there's actually relatively low disposable income, so they're never going to turn up in races in Europe or America. It's just too expensive, certainly not in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So they don't travel. There's very few adventure races in low locations, and all that happens is, is that a few teams from the World Series and the ranking system go, well, let's go, let's go over there because we were racing against one man and his dog. And you just dilute already a very diluted pool. And I just don't see that it's the way forward. I don't see that that model attracts big sponsors. It doesn't help with the media. Mm-hmm. So I guess we know we've been going through deliberations internally about whether it really, really works for us. Um, and I guess, you know, we've had a chance to have some conversations in Brazil. And I guess the long and short of it is we've, we've kind of sat down, waited up as an organization and said, look, you know, we're better off at the moment This for this year for sure being involved, you know, being in the tent, you know, yeah. for one of the better for sort of saying, yeah. sing out rather than pissing from the outside in and trying to help push things in the right direction rather than going off on our merry way at the moment yeah. and going, right, well, sod this. This is not right. We're just going to do our own thing. So, but it's not, it's not an easy decision. Um, and you've got, you know, 12, 10, 12 different directors in the World Series have all got their own opinions on how things should be run. And we don't necessarily agree with it. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Yeah. So, all right. Well, makes, I mean, it logically, it makes sense, right? For you guys. Yeah. I mean, in some way, we've had a few people say to us, well, you know, they've asked the question. They said, well, to be honest, World Series needs you more than you need the World Series at the moment yeah. because we sell out so quickly. You know, our media reach is bigger than the world champs. You know, like, and we, you know, we're, we're, Godzone is in a great position at the moment. But ultimately, you know, as I said, we've sort of said this before, but we kind of do believe in the holistic approach that as an event or an organization, you can't, you know, survive in glorious isolation. You need to make sure that you know, the sport as a whole around you is healthy because that's how everybody thrives. And there's certainly instances of events, even in New Zealand, where, you know, they've been doing quite well, but then they've taken a step back and realised that every other event under them has collapsed. And then that feeder or that conveyor belt of competitors, which has come into that bigger event, is gone because they've said, oh, you know, we should have we should have taken more care of the sport as a whole because ultimately that provides the pyramid of competitors through to those top events. And if you yeah. don't, then ultimately there's nothing coming through. Oh. Yep, so that's it. You know, we're in for another year and we will endeavour to do our best and we'll promote the World Series and hopefully promote the sport and uh yeah. yeah. We'll see what we get to. So sure. is this um the holistic approach kind of why you there is a God's own team now? Yeah, well I think we kind of in some ways it was um it kind of came off the back of, you know, the success we had media-wise at Primal Quest. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that was has always been at the forefront of our mind. I mean, obviously, as any organization, you want to, you know, brand promotion is, is important. Yeah. And you yeah. can do that in any way. And you get a little bit fixated on doing it via the event. Um, and then other avenues that spin off the event. And then when we went to Primal Quest and put a God's Own team, and there's a Primal Quest team coming to God's Own, we suddenly realized, well, actually there's a whole different way to engage an audience which may be very different to your traditional event of audience who you know might be intrigued by god's own but this there's a very different group of people who might follow an adventure racing team 
you know, they might be more like their, their demographic might be more racer orientated. And so we just looked at it and went, well, this just ties into this whole thing, you know, and ultimately it's not about getting behind me or anything like that. But yeah. Nick in particular is a prolific racer who will race yeah. all over the world and is a great ambassador for the sport. So I see it in some ways as more backing Nick and his team mm-hmm. who will go out and put the God's own brand at six or seven major races next year all over the globe and be in the top of the field in most of them. And it's just a great opportunity to get the God's own brand you know, out there. And yeah, and then and ultimately what we'd like to do, I mean, this is something we're going to do, is, is ultimately is get a, um, a youth team going. Because again, I mean, that's something that we're very passionate about. We think the age profile of venture racing across the wall, across the board generally is appalling. And we need to back youth. And, you know, the next step for us would be to get behind a youth team mm-hmm. and, and get them racing you know, and support them. And um, that will hopefully, again, encourage more people to look at the God's own brand, but also encourage more youth to get involved in this sport. Because, you know, look at the age profile of Brazil, and it was shambolic. Probably the, the young, youngest person there was probably mid-30s. <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't grow a sport with that age profile. I suspect the only sport in the world which has got an, an older profile than adventure racing is bloody crown green bowls. full of geriatrics, you know. Yeah. It's just not right. Yeah, yeah. So when you say a youth team, I mean, I'm like a young adult expedition type team, or like younger. Yeah, well, I guess I mean we've had 16 year olds compete okay. here. We've had 18 yeah. year olds. So then, I mean, we're you know we're going to be hamstrung a little bit. But yeah. one thing that we haven't talked about yet this year with Godzone is that we're running in conjunction with our events. We're running. Well, we're not weird, but we're running in partnership with the New Zealand Secondary School. Uh, sort of championships is running on the weekend we finish out of the same location and there'll be 70 teams 70 youngster teams yeah. you know which are effectively all school age yeah. racing yeah. out of Kaiteri Terry on the weekend we finish so there'll be a big fanfare around the event and they'll get a chance to sort of rub shoulders with the I guess they'll look at the icons you know in adventure racing the older guys yeah but um it, we just see it as a great way to promote more schools and more youth to step up you know and I reckon if you, those guys are going to go and do a 24-hour race or 12-hour race, and they'll do it very successfully. And they're only 14, 15-year-olds, you know, whatever. Mm. But yeah. by the time they're 18, 19, they're very ready to go and race at a six-day, five, six-day adventure race. You know, whereas most other jurisdictions or other locations, it's you know, not until people get into their 30s they even give it a try. Yeah. So, you know, we've just got to be part of that, you know, profile, part of that, you know, dynamic to say, how do we get those 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds or the guys at university to say, let's put a university team together. Let's race God's own. Yeah. Makes sense. So, well, just so you know, when, when you start looking for uh, a media person for the team, I, I can make some recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that was coming though, didn't you? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let me, I just got one more question about God Zone, and then we'll, we'll then we'll talk about the fun you had in Brazil. But do you think that maybe God Zone would be a worldwide brand? Like there might be God Zone New Zealand, God Zone Norway, God Zone Canada, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Now, like, kind of, you're touching onto a subject which <laughs> that I'm I have thought about a great deal, and it's mm-hmm. something working on. And I don't actually believe God's Own is a global brand, actually. Okay. Uh, I think it, God's Own wouldn't work anywhere else. It's a very unique 
to New Zealand? Yeah, it's, you know, the, the name is probably too, it's too, you know, it's too specific to, to New Zealand. Okay. But, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I actually, do, I mean, without giving too much away, I actually believe that's the way forward for adventure racing. And I don't think the current model that we have, you know, fits. And I personally yeah. think, you know, you've only got to look at Ironman and see how successful that is. Yeah. with a sport unified under one brand effectively and how massively valuable that is versus adventure racing which is a conglomerate of tiny brands none of which have got any leverage or power and we've got very little power even though we're probably five or six times bigger than most of the other events and it's just like it just doesn't work and i and i actually think that's been the fundamental issue with our sport from its birth really it's just yeah. a collection of very small underpowered events and brands where it needs to be one brand you know under one sort of name and that's something that we believe in and that's something that we're working on and um yeah i i actually i don't want to go into too much detail but i think that's that is the future i think i'm just going to tell people go back and listen to our first conversation because we had a little bit of talk about that and then they can they can put their own think what they want then yeah i mean it's like anything you know you've got to you know, you've got to you've got to sell an idea, and you've got yeah. to make people believe that there's a better future out there. And I guess that's been some of my frustrations mm-hmm. with you know some of the commentary that comes out post events. And I think, oh come on, you know, we need to be more critical about what's going on here. And yeah. and I get it. You know, some of the leading teams or the captains of the leading teams, they don't want to dumb or you know, like you know bash the sport too much because yeah. it might be their bread and butter. Or you know, why would you want to talk something down that you compete in every week? Yeah. You know, sometimes you just got to be honest and say, look, to get this sport where we can get to play, we can make some changes. Yeah. Oops, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I lost you for a second. Oh, okay. I. Well, anyway, we're still here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was all about. Um, so I was kind of in. in well, let's we'll move on to Brazil now, but I've been. You're my sixth interview from racers with from Worlds, and I think I got six or seven more. But there has actually been some uh, criticism. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's positive. Yeah, and, and not bad criticism, but but I think constructive criticism. So, um, you know, I think I think that is good that people are realizing. Yeah, if something's something's wrong. talk about it right yeah i guess we've got we exist in a slightly kind of weird universe where we don't have the benefits of maybe what i'd call outside of people like yourself but the mainstream kind of coverage of adventure racing generally falls to sort of sites or blogs or whatever it is to people who have a vested interest in those events so you know the last thing they need to do is is slag off an event it doesn't help because those ad you know those events are going to advertise through those platforms so sometimes I worry that, you know, maybe the cutting edge journalism or the ability to actually say, well, that was rubbish or why the hell did they do that doesn't actually come out. And what that means is I think sometimes the conversation of adventure racing doesn't go that deep, you know, or there's a sense of, I don't know, well, let's just airbrush over this or let's just we'll move on and next year it'll be different. And it never yeah. is. And, no. uh, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes... You know, it's important to find, I mean, whether you've got to, you know, you've crossed the Rubicon and say, that, that is it, I've had enough, this is not good enough. And at some point, people are going to stand up and say, you know what, that just wasn't good enough. Or this isn't what we think the sport should be. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, I say that with kind of like, 
I don't want to be too critical. I'm a racer, obviously, and I'll look at it. But I'm also a race director and an organizer. Yeah. I know how bloody hard it is and committing and how little money you make and how stressful it is <laughs> and how much shit you take from the competitors. And you don't look at it at the end of it. In the last few weeks before you put the race on, you're thinking, what the hell am I doing? I don't want to do this. This is stupid. Yeah. You know, my family suffers and all that rubbish. And so you've got to take your hat off to the people who've got the courage to actually step up and put a race on because it's bloody hard. And... Um, yeah, I mean, so, so, so you know, any criticism or any kind of constructive criticism I might make, I've always kind of underlined, you know, the, the fair play to Shuby and the people who put on world championships because it's, mm -hmm. it's no mean feat. No, it's, you know, from, from the little events that I put on over the years, it's like I can't even imagine what it was like to try and put on a race in the middle of nowhere. I mean... And Brazil is really the middle of nowhere, from what I can tell. There is no infrastructure. No. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, again. But again, that would be, I mean, if you want to start your discussion about Brazil, I mean, yeah. my major issue with it all in some ways is, well, there's there's a few bits and bobs, but ultimately, for me, it was just a lack of oversight. And even if it was me as an organizer, you know, in the big picture thing, I'd have said, well, really, I mean, what are we trying to do with this sport? Yeah. Now, are we back in 1995 where we're running a race which is all for TV where there's a few only a very handful of races around the world and this is about putting people in a lunatic location and making them suffer it makes amazing TV we've got a very well resourced TV operation going on to actually film that mm -hmm. with great distribution and let's just make it a suffer fest it's great it's made for TV then it was an absolute blowout it was perfect but if the model at the moment, which seems to exist, is, well, let's try and commercialize our sport by stealth, get it out there, encourage participation. There is no big budget for media. I mean, there was barely any media there at all. Yeah. Then we've got to make something which is actually, you know, attainable, you know, for social media, where we can actually use fast broadband, where we can actually make people at the end of it watch it and go, you know what, I'd love to do that. Mm -hmm. And I just said from an oversight perspective, you'd never put on a race in Pantanal. It was lunacy, and it really was not appropriate for what we're trying to do. You know, say for an event back in the day, it was perfect. It was an amazing experience. It took people into the wild and pushed them to the limits. And for those people who experienced it, they'll never forget it, and it was amazing. But I say, if you're looking at it business-wise and going, well, how can we grow this sport? How can we commercialize it? How can we encourage media to participate? How can we get them there? How can we bombard social media with all these posts and stuff like that? You go, that was the worst decision ever. There was no bloody yeah. internet. It was crazy, you know. <laughs> yes. There's no, there's no TV guys there, so we can't have that avenue. There's no journalists there writing long-form media. You don't have that avenue. Well, what do we got? There's a handful of photographers who are supplied by the teams. Yep. They need access to social media. It's the only medium we've actually got. And there's no freaking internet. It's just crazy. <laughs> don't put a race in those locations. It's simple. Yeah. And you, know, you can sit there and criticize Shuby and say, well, that's her fault. No, it's not. The oversight over and above that should have said that's not an appropriate location for an adventure race given the business model that we have. You're not doing it. Yeah. Unless you can do it in a region where there is good media communications, good social media opportunities, it's easy accessible for the journalists who will turn up. It's not appropriate. Don't do it. You know, and I'm, and I'm looking at this from a business point of view, and I just think it just didn't make any sense to me. You know, I'm not critical of the race setup or the location to say, in some ways, it was an amazing location for a race, you know, like something you'll never forget. 
Mm-hmm. But from a basic business point of view, it was appalling. Why would you do it? It's nuts. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I totally understand that from being, in my point of view, one, there was no way I was going to get there. And two, it, it, it didn't matter because, you know, what I do, the daily stuff, there wouldn't have been any of that. So it would have been a waste of time for me. So, you know, it, no, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, we, I mean, in some way, every journalist or photographer or media person that sort of wants to turn up at an adventure race like World Championships has to be cherished because they are few and far between at the moment. And you have to do everything in your power to make it as easy as possible for them. I hate to say that because (laughs) we need them. And so, like, to put it in the extremes of nowhere and then to make their job incredibly difficult when they do get there doesn't actually help us promote our sport. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Yeah, I just think, you know, from an overall business, you know, if you were running this as a business and you say, like, what is our end game? Well, the, the organizers overall are trying to commercialize a brand and grow it and encourage participation, bring your jurisdictions in. Well, you'd failed on every level because yeah. the basics of what you're trying to do didn't work. You know, and that's just, you know, that's completely separate from the fact as well, was Pantanal appropriate for an adventure racing location? Yes, it was, and it was an amazing place, but when you've got a big media budget and TV are on board and it's fully resourced, we're not in that position. We haven't been in that position for 10 years, so why do it? You know, know, again, it just seems to me that sometimes it's just, we just lack oversight in in the sport or vision Mm -hmm. to actually go, you know what, that's just a daft idea, you know? And, (laughs) you know, why has it happened? Well, you know, here we go again. Do you think that maybe the race directors have been just kind of sort of one up each other in the last few years and um, i mean i i posted i think during the race a picture from costa rica and said remember when we thought this was hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah well having been, been on the kind of the, the receiving end of a lot of long races of late i said to nick we were talking the other night sort of in the aftermath i said i can't remember the last time i finished a race in under six days it's just crazy yeah. But I, I don't know, I just, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think race directors just 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 get a severe dose of megalomania the moment they take over a world championship. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know what it is. Yeah. They need, again, I think more guidance or oversight from somebody who's in the know and who's respected or the organisation at the top to say, no, you're not putting on a course which is 700 kilometres. Yeah. And you're certainly not going to put it through there because A, nobody's going to finish or B, that doesn't work for us because no media organization in the world wants to cover your event for 10 days. It's too long. It's too boring. We might get someone for three days because we could actually cost that out. It's appropriate. We can afford to put a journalist there for three days. Once you start getting to seven to 10 days, nobody wants to know. So I just... I just say I think most race directors just fall into this trap that bigger is better. And I actually personally think having organized quite a few courses now is that actually it's a lot harder to put a good short course together than it is to put a good long course together. You know, and, you, and yeah. you know, they just default to longer is better because you can't come up, you know, with a, with a good short course. And I think it's just they try and put too many bells and whistles in and they have long connecting legs to try and do those bells and whistles and it just stretches out the race too far. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I have a proposal. Let's uh, name a adventure races are. And there's there's somebody I have in mind that <laughs> just sort of semi-retired from the sport. <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, I guess we're lucky this year because Nathan's been massively involved with me on the yeah. course side of, of the next God Zone. You know, Tasman, where we're hosting the event, is um, is his home, and um, it would have been not impossible for me to come up with a course that he hadn't probably been over millions of times anyway. So, having his insights is is really useful, and, and you know, he definitely subscribes to the view that you know shorter is better, and most the adventure races would be much better served with a winning time between three and four days. It does bring in the element of no sleep um, yeah. as a strategy. You could potentially get through it with, without sleeping, but the wheels could come off quite badly if you did do that. And it's it's a long enough race for people to race hard, but do it all within a week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've always tried to aim in that kind of ballpark, you know, for God's zone. And I know Nathan's a big advocate for that, for the world championships and everywhere. And yeah. it just seems to be the last four or five world championships races have just all dragged that six or seven days. And I don't think they're any better for it. The excitement levels are low. The tedium levels are high. You know, why would you do it? I don't know. What, what about like a race that took six days, but there were lot, lots of like shorter stages. There wasn't, you know, 250 kilometer bike ride just get from one place to another. I mean, is that sort of in well, the wheelhouse? Yeah, I mean, well, if you could make it exciting for six days, and I don't know if you can make it exciting for six days, but. Well, you probably could, but you, I guess the question would be how big your budget you're working with. Yeah. The reality is, is that the most expensive things you do in an adventure race are normally the exciting things because you're going to put people in rafts down grade five or you're going to put them across a an amazing ridgeline or via ferrata or something you've got fixed ropes everywhere and it's full on but then you go oh jesus i'm, I'm dropping 50k a day just to fund that mm -hmm. you know whereas the cheapest thing in the world to do is just to make them walk over you know open ground yeah so you know as an organization you kind of you've got that yin and yang if i put the kind of exciting in can i can i afford it but if i don't put the exciting stuff in will people come to the race and you so you've got to you've got to balance that off um but yeah, I just, I just don't know. I mean, some, some areas lend themselves better to, um, to adventure racing and excitement, I think, than others. And I think, you know, maybe we do, we, we're probably a little bit lucky in New Zealand that we actually have a very diverse and changing terrain here from kind of east to west coast, you know, with a big spine of mountains running down the middle and you get every kind of terrain type in a very condensed area. And there's a lot of adventure kind of stuff, which is pre-pepped here. So, you know, we just have to tie into that. But when you go to big countries where you've got vast waves of the same kind of terrain, it yeah. isn't easy necessary to go, right, well, let's go from ridgeline to sea to whitewater river to beautiful kind of ridge. It's, you know, they might be hundreds yeah. of kilometers apart. It doesn't always work. Yeah, I, you know, that's one thing that I've noticed, like really good races, like Untamed New England would be so diverse. And then you'd get home and you'd look at the map and you're like, we were only in like a hundred square miles, you know, but, yeah. but that's, that is hard to find. I think Primal Quest did a good job. I mean, a lot of uh, diversity there and not a huge, huge area. So, yeah, but, well, I, I mean, so I, you know, I kind of enjoyed Primal Quest. I felt that even though, again, it was a very long race, I thought the, the scenic and the sort of backdrop, you know, kind of the whole environment thing. Yeah. You know, kind of more than compensated for the hardships. You know, you yeah. felt like there was that diversity and, and the scenery was stunning. So it's like, well, okay, well, like that's, there was upside to the downside. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, you know, 
maybe the last few world championships I've kind of felt that you know the distance is long but we kind of keep repeating the same terrain and it's like eventually you just tire of it and you just go you know what I'm a little bit over this trek because it's a little bit like the last one you know we're <laughs> wading through mud for another yeah. 10 hours brilliant you know I'd actually rather do something else so let's get above the tree line so I can actually see a view for the more than 200 meters that's what I like to do you know so, yeah yeah I can see yeah after a while just whatever you're doing just goes on and on and you're just like let's do something else so yeah um kind of an just out of the blue question and i don't know if you got a chance did you get a chance to see the primal quest the outside show yeah yeah what do you what do you think (laughs) yeah i think i mean to be honest first things first i mean i guess hats off to pq for actually getting you know yeah outside there to be honest it's a um you know that is no mean feat. I mean, you look around and, and, you know, count the number of races that are actually managed to attract, you know, some kind of broadcast partner to them to actually produce what I would say is a quality video and actually get it distributed. There isn't many. In fact, there's none, basically. Um, So that's, yeah, so that was that. But again, it kind of, for me, is like, again, it comes back to this problem we've got is that I just don't see the sustainability of a model when you've got multiple small branded races being individually filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I just don't see how that's going to work long term for any TV network or something, because ultimately it's just, it always just kind of gets done as a one off. Yeah. And what yeah. we need is continuity and investment, which repeats. And if yep. you're going to get continuity and investment that keeps coming back year after year, you need consistent branding. And I think, you know, that. You know, that's a kind of one-off peak you've done that. Then next year, they might do it again, but it might be with a different broadcast partner. And it, again, it sort of showcases a bit of a one-off. Yeah. Whereas I think we as a sport actually need to develop long-term relationships with strong media partners. And there are a lot of big global media partners who would love a lot of the content that we're producing. But you kind of almost can back on those guys coming back year after year. They know how to produce the content that you're actually able to deliver them. And they know how to distribute it. And if you could do that across a single brand and multiple events, then I just think you'd get so much more stickability because I mean, it's bloody hard as an event organizer. You're going to come in. It takes a long time just to put one race together and one course together and do all the consents, permissions, health and safety and all the other shit you've got to yeah. do. But then if you've got to completely rebuild your media platform and your broadcast relationships every year, that just takes up so much time. And often yeah. that broadcast stuff doesn't happen to a few weeks before you, you know, you, before you actually finish because, you know, the media is fickle and you don't even know if they're bloody coming until the last minute. Yeah. You know, what you really need is someone going, you know what, I love what you do. I love this brand. I love this series. We're there for five years. And then you can plan around it and you can budget for it and you can say, well, okay, when we factor in our kind of travel situation or our volunteers or whoever it is, who's going to look after media or our safety guys who will be with media when they're doing stupid things on the course. <laughs> We can actually manage it. Yeah. So, yeah, again, it's about building those long-term relationships, but you've got a ways to go in adventure racing, that's for sure. Yeah, well, at least we have you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that's a good thing. I'm kind of always mindful that I can be a bit of a stick in the mud about bloody things, but honestly... It mildly depresses me that we can be quite chipper about things which aren't done very well. And, you know, I sort of... I don't. We don't always get it right at God's own, but yeah. I just pulling my hair out sometimes, you know, in Brazil and going, "Oh, well done to these guys for bloody putting on a race here." It's an amazing location, yeah. but then they get so many of the little things wrong. I'm like, "Why? 
why yeah. are you, why is that CP in the wrong bloody place? Or why is that CP missing? Yeah. You know, why are they saying there's T, there's water available in this TA when there isn't? You know, it's you know the race is bloody hard enough as it is. But if yeah. you make those little errors, they compound on already a difficult situation for teams. You know, and add all the nonsense about ridiculous like time estimates. Look, this is already a really hard race. I mean, super hard. Mm -hmm. And then if you actually give misleading information to teams, then you actually make their jobs even harder. We'd have actually been better off with no information because then you just wouldn't have made assumptions. You'd gone, you know what, I'm looking at that map and that tells me I'm 24 hours on that track. But you're telling me 12? All right, I'll pack the 16. You'd have just yeah. been better off just going, oh, nuts, that's 24 hours all day long. Yeah, and uh, that just that misinformation and the little errors of the things which I think ultimately was the downfall in the race in some ways. Mm -hmm. So, do you think it would have been better specifically for that race if you'd have got the maps a day early? Although you'd already packed your boxes, but yeah, well, I think in some ways I kind of um, I, I just wonder why it was done. I mean. I, it kind of makes sense to me in, in New Zealand mm -hmm. to keep the maps back, the maps back, and we generally would not give the maps until literally a few hours before we start. Yeah, but I think that's because Google Earth and some of those, you know, some of the local knowledge that certainly people would employ, yeah, to to help people if they had it overnight the night before, would actually have a, a profound influence on some of the decisions the teams make, and we want to avoid that. But I think yeah. with someone like Pantanal, where no one in the bloody world's ever been there before, no one knows what the hell's going on, and you know, no team's ever been there before, basically, it just yeah. made no sense. You could have given us the maps a week before, because there's no bloody tracks on Google Earth anyway. So, you <laughs> so, know, what, yeah. what was the what was the, the disadvantage of the advantage? I'm not entirely clear, you know, what that meant. Um, but I think, as I say, for me, the maps were the maps. You know, yeah. that's it is what it is. They did a great job of updating the maps. I don't know how they did it, whether they just did it off Google Earth or however. But you know, there was clearly some misleading information on there in terms of the tracks. But you know, it is what it is, and you learn to adapt with those maps. But I say, I think it was a stuff outside of that. Some of the stuff that was in the root book, or stuff that was misleading, missing CPs, CPs in the wrong place. You know, misleading information about what was available at some of the TAs. Just again made and the timing just actually made a, a difficult job very very difficult and I think we'd have actually a lot of the teams actually been, might have been better off without that information just left to their own devices to actually work it out for themselves because they'd probably been more conservative yeah that makes makes sense um, do you look at while you're racing and doing that do you look at it do you think a little different because you're a race director and um, I'm not sure exactly. Do you have a little empathy when things go bad for race directors? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I kind of, in, in PQ, I, I remember, um, you know, things were not necessarily going to plan at one point. Yeah. And the team was, like, getting a bit grumpy because certain things were a little bit unclear, let's yeah. say, within the race. And we were like, look, what the hell's going on here? Why is that missing? Or there was a CP completely gone, and we went up and down this mountain twice, and we got no feedback from the kind of the tracking system to tell us they basically gave us misleading information, so we wasted hours, and then we got dark zone because of it. Yep. Uh, and there was a bit of grump going on in the team, and I kind of like sort of said to the team, I said, "Look, come on, you know, as an organisation, this is bloody hard. The one thing we're going to do is not arrive at the next TA and complain to the volunteers that this is just crazy because it's not their fault." So I yeah. guess I empathise with it, but on the other hand, I also know that it's the exact that attention to detail on the small things 
if you get them right, then you don't half help the teams a lot, you know, because they learn to rely on you for being consistent and they trust mm -hmm. you're going to have done it right. But yeah. when you start immediately thinking, oh, maybe they've not got this checkpoint in the right place again because they got the last one in the wrong place, you start to get those doubts and it doesn't make it easy. Um, but as I said earlier on, I said I've got unbelievable amounts of respect for anybody who's willing to put on you know, a long adventure race and host a world championships because it's incredibly difficult, stressful, and not financially rewarding. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed anyone does it, to be honest. Yeah. Somebody that I talked to this week, and I don't remember who it was, but I think how they put it was it was like almost a really good race. <laughs> just a little, just needed a little bit, and it would have been an epic think yeah, that's I mean, kind of true yeah i think as a location it you know it wasn't yeah. inappropriate i think you know there's a lot of people going like what the hell are we racing there for yeah it was unseasonably warm and you know whatever i guess i thought it was it was a, certainly a unique location yeah uh, and on all that and from a race perspective that's cool you know clearly the course is way too long and um you know seagate didn't even finish which is nuts they missed out part of the bike and yeah. they paddle you know and if they raced amazingly well and mm -hmm. you know they were they were brilliant, to be honest. And um, if they were nowhere near finishing, God, God help everybody else. <laughs> and um, yeah, I kind of, I guess, part of me said the little things they got wrong were frustrating. But I, I guess, putting my organisers head on, I do worry that there was a very, I don't know, I'm not sure they would have been able to cater for a major incident on that event quickly. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that. The reality was is when people were pinging their yellow brick trackers, you know, which happened because people were stuck or whatever it is, there was yeah. effectively no, no available response. And I think when you're racing in those temperatures with, you know, people running out of food, with major heat exhaustion, IVs going on all over the place, you think, you know, the one thing you need is backup. You know, and if someone severely has a shock or something out of, like, heat, you know, and you need to deal with it quickly, you know, what resources do you have on the ground to get there quickly and where are you going to take them and do all the TAs have the ability to deal with that medical emergency? And I don't think they did. And I think, yeah. you know, adventure racing, we always run a little bit by the seat of our pants, but I actually think that stepped outside the boundaries to me of what could have been coped with. I mean, so you could have easily had four or five, six individuals trapped in the swamp in 40 degrees, all going down with severe heat stroke no way of getting them out. And if you did get them out, where are we going to take them? If you got them there, what resources were available to cool these people down and bring them back to life, basically? I don't think there was anything, or yeah. very little. And so, like, in some ways, I think, you know, we push things at God's own in terms of technical difficulty, like big white water, exposed ridges, really kind of open route choice, big river crossings and stuff in the night, you know, all sorts of ways. But we always feel that we've got the resources in place to actually cope with problems when they act, you know, if, if someone pings their yellow brick, we're on it in 10 seconds, and we're yeah. going to go, right, is it a helicopter in now? What do you need? Whereas I just felt that these, you know, they just didn't have the resources, and that's, you know, maybe they were under-resourced, didn't have the money, you know, or, you know, helicopters, just not that easy to resource yeah. in, uh, in Pantanal. But that would be a big concern to me. Yeah, yeah I, could, I could see that, and I, you know, good thing you racers can handle just about anything, right? Well, I mean, I guess in some ways that, that was the benefit of actually only having 30 teams and most of yeah. the teams were actually really competent. I mean, if you'd have had another 30 teams of bucket listers turn up, you know, it, it, been... it could have been carnage, you know, yeah. really. 
Yeah. You know, actually had a relatively small number of what I'd call relatively competent teams. Um, but I say, if it had ended up being a big event with quite a high number of first timers or bucket listers who want to turn up and give it a nudge, it could have been Armageddon. So, yeah, I never looked at that silver lining <laughs> for having yeah. a small field. Yeah, but it makes sense exactly. So, um, and and we haven't talked much about your race, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to talk to Nick tomorrow. <laughs> so, oh yeah, but um. Did you have fun? <laughs> um, no. I, to okay. be honest, I don't think I did. I mean, in the main, I actually yeah. suffered more in that race than I've probably done ever. Um, wow. And I've been doing this a long time. And we we were going pretty well up to probably, you know, the start of day three. Mm -hmm. And then we got onto that long trek. And we were in second place. And we got up to the top of CP10 in the same time that Seagat had taken. Taken, I'd taken a seven hours still up there, and they'd taken seven hours as well. Yeah. And we were probably three, four, five hours ahead of the next place team, and we we're actually going really well. And then the wheels came off so badly in the temperatures. Hmm. And yeah, I think you know, like Nick and I were really bad. And when I've never been like that before in a race, and I was like all over the place, I was slurring my words, and I was like, this is unbelievable. I've never felt like this before ever. And um, yeah, we just couldn't, we couldn't cool down. We couldn't find any water and we'd been told there was plenty of water on that stage but there wasn't and um yeah and it was just it was almost comedy because we every time we tried to find somewhere to rest we'd just get mass attack from ants and it was hilarious it was like you just couldn't sit down because you'd just be bombarded by these little shits and um it was one point where nick and i we just got under this tree and we're like and we're going right we're just gonna have to sit down and gear and sarah went off to try and find some water Mm -hmm. which they couldn't find in the end. But Nick and I then sort of said, oh, shit, there's ants around it. We'll go and sit on these boulders over here. So we sat down for about 45 minutes out of the sun, went back to our backpacks, and they'd been devoured. And these ants had literally eaten through all our backpacks, all our dry bags, and they just were walking around with all these little bits of plastic on their backs. And we were just thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. <laughs> we were just like, this place is just unbelievable. <laughs> I like to be in a race when you're, you know, when things are going badly and you're tired. Yeah. You'll find somewhere just to go, ah, sod it, put the tent up, let's just have a sleep. We'll wake up in two hours' time and we'll feel a lot better. You couldn't do that there because the moment you sat down, some little shit was trying to try and eat you. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are focused on alligators and snakes and all that nonsense. I mean, they were an irrelevance. It was the bloody bugs. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But that was oh, great. Oh, I mean, it, yeah. the, big, the big animals were amazing. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. This is This has yeah. kind of surprised me, but... How long did it take you guys to not even notice the the crocodiles and the? Because I've t you know talked to other people and they're like, you know, after a while you didn't even notice or pay any attention to them. No, I, I think I'm, I probably wouldn't think even by the second day. And I remember yeah. going into one section. I was tapping this alligator on the nose with this with my stick, <laughs> and just like, and it was only probably three foot long, you know. Yeah. But, and in the end, you're just thinking, God, I've become so blasé about this so quickly. <laughs> And I think, you know, you just had much bigger problems to worry about. You were like, oh, my God, my food bags clearly aren't big enough because I've set them up based on her timings yeah. earlier in the race. And I'm finding that every section I'm eight to 12 hours short of food and there's never enough water. Yeah. And, oh, my God, I'm nearly dying of heat on every stage, you know, and the bugs are terrible. You almost become the big animals are almost irrelevant. You're like, oh, I do, couldn't give a crap. You know, <laughs> if you do your worst, what's the worst that can happen? You yeah. know. You gonna know, get eat get eaten and put out of your misery. Exactly. It would have been a small blessing, I think. Yeah. But 
Well, that's that's very yeah. It's very interesting to me how yeah blase everybody became to those. So, um, all right, I just got one one suggestion. Can I give you a suggestion for the race? Yeah, of course. I and I've tried to do this a couple of times and just hasn't worked out. To send somebody out and do a little filming of the sections of the race course that you can put up during the race. So when people are online and they're they're looking at somebody doing a trekking section, they can go find a video of what that section looks like. Yep. So it just I always thought it would be it would be so nice to be able to to actually see what the teams are going through. So yeah, well, I guess that's the ultimate, isn't it? I mean, and it yeah. often comes down to resource, and you know, often yeah. you know the most spectacular locations are the most remote. Yeah, and, of course. And, and it comes <laughs> down to saying, well, either you've got to have somebody who's going to basically follow the teams who needs yeah. to be, you know, capable of doing that, or you know, you've got to have helicopter time. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, a couple of thousand dollars an hour. How do you resource it? But I think yeah. you know, you're right. I think that's the best way to to showcase what the teams are going through is actually yeah. to get it. There because far too much filming happens around TA areas. Yeah. Well, I'm actually thinking like if you can sense, shoot some stuff while you're out out exploring the course or vetting the course that you can yeah. actually have put up, and then when the time comes, put up. So even if there's not teams in it, you can people can get an idea of what they're what they're what they have to be doing. Yeah, yeah, and no, it's the way to go. I think the more information we can give people, the better. I think. Absolutely. So. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to let you go. Good. This has been, uh, very enlightening. I think I uh, answered a bunch of questions and, uh, makes me excited for what's going to be happening in the future. Yeah. I mean, hopefully I say with, you know, you can't recreate the wheel, but I think, you know, there's positive signs coming out of where we are. Yeah. And we have, I think, in some ways, we, we're building a vision of where we could go with things. And ultimately, it's about getting people on board to buy into that vision. And hopefully, everybody involved in the sport and all the potential people who could get involved in the sport will benefit from that. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's the way to go, I think. Yeah. Well, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but, you know, they do have radial tires now instead of stone. So, let's try to get to the radial tire. How's that sound? Yeah, I kind of feel like adventure racing still stuck with 26-inch wheels, probably not even 26-inch wheels, and everybody else has gone 29, actually 27 yeah. and a half, and uh, one day we'll wake up and go, why are we doing the sport this way, surely, yeah. isn't it? Someone woken up and realized this is not actually, you know, working out the best, you know, or could yeah. we do this a little bit better? And I think we can, but um, it takes, you know, all of us have just got to put up and say, you know what? I'm not going to accept this anymore. You know, I want something to change, or I think this could be better. And I don't—I'm not talking down the sport. I think it's a brilliant sport, and I care yeah. passionately about it. And I've raced for many years, and I organise races, and I love it. But I, you know, at the same time, I think there is a place for people to be critical about what gets done, mm -hmm. and say to people, "This needs to be better. This needs to be better." If you want another generation of adventure races to come through then we need to do this a lot, lot better because otherwise those people are just not going to turn up to the races anymore. Yeah, we're all we're all going to get too old to show up. Yep, and it'll be the same old suspects turning up to the same old races and we'll look at the age profile and go, well, it was 34 last year was the average age and this year we're 35 and it's the same <laughs> people turning up, they're just a year older. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
All right. Um, just so you know, I think I'm probably going to put this up yet tonight because I've been doing, I've got so many uh, things from Worlds and stuff, so I'm doing two a week here for a while. So. Yeah, yeah, it's been busy. It's been great. Yeah, and since we sort of have breaking news, we'll, I'll get her put up and uh, and uh, let you know. So. Yeah. And then uh, say hi to Margo for me. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> just going to go and meet Margo now. There's a lot of media stuff going on around this Richie thing. I bet. So, all right, I'll let you go. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Randy. All right, bye. One, two, get down. Paid the cost to be the boss. Paid the cost to be the boss. I paid the cost to be the boss. Look at me. You know what to see.